my name's Seth, and I created and editor of 502 Bad Gateway, which is, I guess I've been describing it online with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek as like a good life decision, but really it's a men's magazine that focuses on men's style and has a strong graphic element and has a strong sort of wordy article element to it. So my day job is ASOS, where I basically work in the e-com studios, which is pretty, it's a pretty intense nine to five, to be honest. This was kind of a way to bring some things together outside of that. Could you explain how you wound up with this name or what the name means to you? So the name is, I made a zine with the same name and like a similar kind of theme. Whereas more just trying to unearth things that people didn't necessarily talk about. In that, I did a feature on Eastern European brands and why I thought Kanye West was really great. And How I don't know, I wanted... How tie in with that? So, I looked it up, by the way. What, I looked, up, what, yeah, I looked up what yeah, 502 Bad Gateway means. Internal server errors, where the, what you want to access online doesn't exist or the file, the name is wrong. But it was all, I wanted it to relate to internet culture, but to illustrate that it was a, like a real world physical thing. Almost the thinking behind it was, oh, you've encountered 502 by Gateway on your computer, so you should pick something in the real world up and do that instead. Also, one thing I really didn't do was uh, Google it or see if you could get a 502 by Gateway Instagram handle, which you can't. Oh my God, there's like, if you Google 502 by Gateway, there's a lot of, why am I getting this message? What does this mean? It's funny because it is like, a maybe poor strategy, not looking it up online before mm. naming a thing. On the other hand, because you want people who encounter website errors to pick up your magazine, you've targeted your audience because everyone who Googles yeah. 502 by Gateway is like having an issue. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of, Kind of just stuck with it. Decided and didn't even think twice. Or was that like, this is what it's going to be. Oh, okay, that's good. Commitment. What compelled you to want to do this? Oh, definitely like boredom. <laughs> like my nine to five, I don't think I would be um, blowing my own trumpet too much to say I was like good at it. So I don't feel particularly challenged. Whereas this is like... That was quite a learning curve just in terms of being like, pushed me to learn more stuff. I think it's okay to say you're good at your job. Yeah. And I guess the nature of what you do is not changing drastically. Otherwise, in that situation, you might feel like you had room to grow. Yeah, exactly. I'd applied for like a promotion that I didn't get that in the end I was completely fine with because it was a lot of like, you'd be more office type of manager than in any kind of creative role. I don't know, in a lot of ways as well, this was like me getting to meet my heroes. Like, there's a couple of people in there that I've always, always, well, everyone in there that I've worked with, I've always looked up to. Yeah, I was going to ask you as well, because I have a feeling about that, which is that some of this, or a large part of this, is chasing your own interests and your own passion. Mm. Yeah, I think that maybe pulls into... Um, you ever like notice things when you're reading like various different articles or you see different imagery 
and then that kind of shows you that something's happening in the zeitgeist or culture of. I felt like in the run up to doing this, I was reading a lot of things that were like interviews with people where they go, oh, I just make things that I want to wear. Mm. And then I wouldn't know how to put it together for someone else to read, if that makes any sense. This is kind of, I'm doing what I know and I know I like. It's like writing what you would want to read. Yes, and about subjects I would want to read and in a way presented on a page where in a way that I would want to look at as well. What do you wish you'd known when you started that you learned along the way? Oh, I got a couple of really interesting pieces of advice as a process. Mm-hmm. I kind of see it like, and actually William Kroll, the guy from Tender, literally says this, so I sort of stole it from him. After you kind of like have loads of fun designing, making stuff, meeting these people, writing it up, maybe staying up late, like trying to finish stuff on time. And then you end up with a load of magazines on a pallet and you're kind of there like, oh, cool, like, what do I do now? Making the content of the magazine is like maybe 45%. The actual business distribution and promoting it side is probably more and harder work. It's kind of in a creative way, it's like not sexy, like it's less interesting. Is that the challenge that you're facing right now? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And then things that I learned along the way, when someone delivers you something, especially photos, you don't have to just put them in the page. You can obviously alter them slightly, crop them how you want. I guess like tell more of a story with them. I spent a lot of time making sure that the articles flowed in a kind of logical way. It was one of the things that was really hard about it was being the writer and the editor. It's actually quite difficult because you kind of look at it and you look at it and you're like, I think this is okay. And then you read it a week later and you think, wow, this is <laughs> trash. This is terrible. And then you go back over it and then the same thing happens. That's definitely one thing. And yeah, then, when do you know to draw the line? Yeah, and is anyone going to care if you've structured it one way or the other if they both make sense? Mm-hmm. And like kind of allowing myself to just be like, no, this is, it's okay for it to be as it is. Was there anything that in the process of making this, the first 45%, like making the publication, was related to your day job? Did anything carry over from your day job skills into this? Or was the feeling, this is incredibly different from everything I do, nine to five? So I kind of ragged on my day job a bit, but realistically, the good elements of it are that it's like all the people you were with was like super, super nice. Put me in contact with a large number of freelance creatives. So everyone that I've worked with, I've met through there. The people, the photographers? yeah, I'm just thinking. So A lot of them. Yeah, probably like 90%. The editorial designer, Shan, I found her through The Dots, which is just like an online talent website to find jobs and to find people to work with you and stuff. And then a couple of friends from home. But yeah, a large majority were either in some way involved in that. Yeah, how important was it to you that making this was a collaborative thing? Or do you think of it as this was really an individual, personal project? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't intend it to be as focused on myself. I kind of recognized that early on, like, if I'd really, really wanted to, I think I'm probably the kind of person that would try and do as much as possible as myself. And the collaborative 
element of it is probably something that I really learned as well. This is like having to work out how to ask people to do things and thinking about how I wanted to work with people in terms of giving them direction, what I thought of what they gave me back. Did you enjoy that element of it? Or was it more out of necessity? No, I did. That feeling when you say something to someone like, can you do this in this way? So, for example, the um, graphics in the Massimo Asti archive one, yeah. where it's the jacket next to the graphic, that was me briefing Ruben, the designer. And similarly, for the editorial design, that was very collaborative. We work quite closely together, me and Shan. In fact, all of the editorial in it, all the photo editorial, is a very big collaborative effort. And probably, like, I had an idea or a concept in my head, but I think the real skill in the people that I work with uh, is being able for me to say, show them a few images and say a few sentences, and then be like, okay, this is, this is how this is going to work. I think that process of collaboration, it's a mix of being vulnerable with your ideas. Oh, 100%, <laughs> yeah. And then also trusting, like you said, that this person you're speaking to is going to convert it into something even better than what you pictured. That's like an yeah. ideal situation. Yeah, yeah. There were times where I had to like think, okay, is this how I want this to go? And then it always like, I'm very happy with how everything worked out, so evidently it did. Do you have an example of one of these features that kind of took a turn towards something you hadn't imagined? Yeah, so the Bybora one, I approached the stylist and photographer, and the stylist was like, I want to use kind of industrial stuff and do a lot of like tying things around waists, cabling and roping and stuff like that. And I was kind of there like, that's not necessarily how I, what I thought the reaction would be. And then you kind of have to like sit back and think about it in a little bit and go, is this going to work? Like I always went into it thinking, I don't want to be that guy who just like has a tantrum if someone doesn't agree with me. And I'm a big believer in trusting what people do. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a graphic designer and I'm trying trying to tell you what I want, at some point I have to just believe that or know that you know exactly what you're talking about from a position of like better taste and training than I would ever hope to. Yeah, it felt good to do that actually. But it's really hard to put yourself aside, even in what you're describing, like trusting someone else's talent and ability. It's difficult to overcome the part of your mind where you're like, well, I do know what's best. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, yeah, letting go, like professionally letting go, I guess, is uh, tricky to do. I don't know if it was intentional, probably not, because I don't know how much you like pre-interviewed, but a lot of your interview subjects also talked about collaboration or working with other people. In some cases, there's a lot more stuff to draw on. Mm -hmm. So like the tender one, did a lot of early interaction on like super future message boards. So that's like a treasure trove of actually William Kroll writing this stuff. So you're there like, okay, like this is... Yeah, first-hand material. Legitimately what he thinks and like it's his reaction. Whereas Olubuyi Thomas hasn't done that many interviews. I mean, I read them all and not really in depth because he's kind of new. I wouldn't talk to them until I got there as a conscious decision. I don't know, I think sometimes you can have a better pre-interview chat then you have the actual interview. Yeah. And then you're there like, damn, like, I wish I'd just recorded the first one. And you kind of can't be like, I'm going to re- record this, just chat between us, because then they get a little bit guarded, maybe. 
I would do a lot of research and like really think about what I could ask them that either they hadn't really been asked before or that would maybe be a little bit prying, like try and look at things that aren't normally addressed. Like in the tender one, we talk a lot about supply chain and that kind of thing. as well that a lot of the people spoke in detail about their systems of production. Yeah, I think that's really what kind of ties the whole thing together. I didn't really realize this until the end. What is it you think ties it together? That it's thematically. Product design, fashion as kind of product design rather than it being like making a look. I think all those people do that. I don't think you can be successful in fashion without having an aesthetic or a look about what you do but all of them in one way or the other have very interesting supply chains. It's interesting to hear you say it wasn't necessarily pre-planned but something you saw after but I guess it comes out of this being yeah. of yourself yeah, so yeah, it's 100%. things that you are interested in. It's very easy to make fashion content that's just like here's someone beautiful and or famous wearing some cool clothes in a cool place shot by a cool and or famous photographer. Whereas I think it's equally important to find out where things come from. You can look at that in two ways. So you can look at that like culturally. So why things are cool or important. And then also like in a physical way, like where has this come from? Where does it get made? What's in it? I guess there's a lot of folks at the moment trying to work out things like that, but it's so unbelievably hard to work out what's right and wrong about it. Is it better to buy an old plastic coat or buy a new cotton one. On the face of it, maybe you'd choose the cotton one if you were being purely choosing for ethical reasons. But I mean, like, it's an impenetrable question. You kind of only have to make best guesses. So a lot of the people that were in it have some element of consciousness about them, but equally don't just make things for the sake of being ethically sound. The output is beautiful and on its own without it being labeled anything necessarily. Yeah, it is complicated and I think not that they necessarily contradict each other but the different people that you spoke to kind of have different takes on it necessarily right like each of them have set up their own processes and supply chains and are involved on material levels at different phases right like tender has his own flock of sheep yeah that's one person's decision yeah in terms of like what do I find ethical or what am I most interested in exactly and I don't think not all of them are at the same place either so like mm -hmm. obviously not everyone can go and custom make their own knitting programs like Viboro and some of the people like my friend Jared who does Sanpei is not in a position to go and buy a flock of sheep yeah I think it's interesting to see different people's takes on it what do you think is the norm right now in fashion? As to what? like As to supply chain and production. Oh, well. Do you have like a take or like a feeling on what is the average? Yeah, like the average, I mean, even, I'm coming from an incredibly hypocritical background because I work at this big fast fashion company. 
So it's probably very much subconsciously fed into what this ended up looking like, what 502 ended up looking like. I think anywhere in the world, wherever your company is, making everything there from start to finish and finding raw materials and like skilled enough labor to do it at the right price, you could do that all in one country and pretty much make anything just about. But no one does that. The norm would be that you would have a company in Europe, all your manufacturing would be probably in Eastern Europe or on another continent. They would probably ship in the materials from somewhere else as well. And then when you scale it up, like even with this, I've been posting magazines to Europe and America. And it's like, okay, so how does that all feed in in a responsible kind of way? Ultimately, to do business on that kind of scale, there's an inherent amount of environmental irresponsibility. And then if you look at it on the other side, like big companies provide huge amounts of people with jobs. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not straightforward mm. weighing of scales. Do you know what I mean? Because and I do this, I, it outweighs that. Yeah, you're measuring different things, really. One thing that really, like, I gets me thinking is you can buy a pair of responsibly made and, as, and make a conscious decision to wear something that might be amazing quality and good for the environment, but anyone who does that is already niche. Like, the average guy isn't going to be doing that. And ultimately, if you did want to make any kind of large-scale change, you need to make it available for the average guy who's there like, I don't really care. I want £40 jeans. But how can you make him want that or provide him that for the same price? So I think that's what would actually make a difference. I, yeah, my second half of that question was, where do you think fashion is heading? Oh, man. I was actually going to say, I don't think luxury is that dissimilar, but I think it is noticeably different. Like... I still think they'd do the same thing where it would be they were shipping things around the world and getting raw materials from different places. But there's a chance that with a higher quality of manufacture, it's generally better for the environment. Yeah, and then where I think it's going. I don't know, it's a very interesting question. I think, ah, uh, tricky. I think you're almost asking where's society going? And there's so many like different things that you could take off that so like the question is almost does society follow fashion or does fashion follow where people go yeah because like if all of a sudden everyone's like nah we really like gotta be really loads more environmentally conscious then fashion will change because there's ultimately yeah. money talks and then recently in the UK at least there's been a big fall off on sales in fashion I don't know if that's across the board but definitely it kind of high street level and it could be just people not having any money after Christmas but it also could be people being way more conscious about how and where things are made yeah so and I think probably overall it's going there but it's very easy for something to be flavor of the month uh, my question was very broad I didn't narrow it down to something specific within fashion but I was generally thinking about this trend towards ethical consumption and responsibility at every level, whether you're a creator or a consumer. And I guess what you're saying is, which I agree, will society consider sustainability a trend and fall off of it, mm. and therefore fashion stops caring? Or will the people making fashion or the business owners decide, even if people think of it as a trend, it's not. We have to be more responsible in the ways we make things. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Predicting the future is hard. 
there are two streams and it can be like it can be both in smaller parts than 100% one or the other like it could be there'll be some business owners who are thinking like oh no we 100% have to like not use any more plastic straws so ASOS they're like no more single use plastics at all in the building so you can't buy a bottle of water I think they still got coffee cups but I think they're technically recyclable and then this opens like a whole other like <laughs> can of worms about recycling and if you put it in the recycling does it actually get recycled I mean this is a rabbit hole that has potentially no end yeah I mean everything is interconnected in a mm. very complicated way where it seems like every decision you make even if you're trying to make a good one is impossible true and it's you're kind of always choosing lesser of two evils and then a kind of very sad and boring kind of way the best option is to not consume anything but like it's boring but that's <laughs> true it's so true and yet here yeah. we are and like sitting I've in front of a publication about fashion and ultimately up. products yeah and like even this in of itself you're kind of there thinking I got 500 printed that's a lot of trees that's like if you break it down further you can spend a lot of time thinking about I guess the supply chain of any product so you could say wonder where the inks come from and what's that like? The printing machine is probably very, very high quality. So, I mean, that's built to last, but it's probably a few few tons of printing machine. How do you make peace with that as an individual? You know what? I don't. I don't think I have to. And I kind of understand that ultimately if I was really, like, die hard about it, would have thought about different ways to do it. Could I have done something else? I could have probably launched a podcast and done everything online. I could have launched just a PDF magazine. Digital things have footprints too. Digital things have footprints too, but also when you kind of come back around to print media, which is something that I've always been a fan of, and I've always like enjoyed picking up a magazine and flicking through it, it felt easier from my point of view to make a product like that felt more excited about having something in print to show for it. Definitely. I would never tell someone to not make things. I think it's a very human nature type of thing to make something. Which is weird because earlier in this interview, you said the boring answer is don't consume things. But at the same time, I would never want to stop anyone from making things. Oh, that's where fashion's headed. Everyone is going to buy less clothes from big companies. And it's all going to be people that you know. You know, there's that thing, that idea that you can kind of do anything with a laptop and enough hard work, right? So I did this with a laptop and my kitchen table and enough hard work. Equally, you could start a podcast with a laptop and some software. You can do a brand the same. So I guess there are just enough people out there that you could buy off only people you know. responsibility and kind of these themes that came up across the interviews. I was wondering if there was something after you'd finished that you thought this is what I want someone to get from this publication. No, there wasn't really a conscious decision to do that. If we go back to thinking about that it is very much of myself, 
then I consciously put in people that I thought did things in the right way. It's in your editor's letter too, that same idea that you've just said mm. about a feeling of what's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you went through, bought for a store and bought everything that you even half liked, if you had the money, kind of what would be the point? I think you should wear things that you really, really love. I spend a lot of time in my own head wondering like what's the difference between fashion and style and what style actually means. But I think people very much use dress as a method of communication, even if you're the guy who's wearing nondescript white trainers, dark blue jeans and a white t-shirt, that is still your choice of who you are. You might cross the street to ask someone where they got their trainers from. Or if you saw someone in something that you really liked, you might go and talk to them like, oh my God, where did you get that from? Or if you saw someone that you like, you couldn't fathom why someone would dress like that, you're never gonna million years gonna go and speak to them. So I think it's like thinking about how and why you get your clothes is an extension of that. So people go, where did you get that from? And you go, oh, I got it off eBay or I got it off this small designer who's my friend who makes things. I think that's a lot cooler and way more interesting than if it's just a Gucci logo sweater. But if that's what you're into, I don't want to be the guy who's like, you shouldn't do that. You should only do what I say. Well, I do think what is compelling about 502 is that there is a sense of you should do this. Not in that tone of voice, not mm. in that I'm better than you and this is the only correct way, but I do think what's interesting is having a message. That, that to me is what comes across, right? Because why would you want to go about and make your own publication when there are other men's publications out there? It is because you have your own stance on things. Yeah, 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 that fits in very well actually. But you can still enjoy those things. It's like everyone enjoys some fast food. Yeah. But you know it's bad. There are things that don't make the cut. Out of my own experience, chopping those out of your life are ridiculously difficult. If someone's offering me something for free, maybe I'm not saying no. But when I'm making conscious decisions to buy things, usually it's off eBay or I've done copious amounts of research. What the brand is about and what that product represents to that brand. This is going to sound so lame. <laughs> Say it anyway. What, what I've always been really interested in is, like, in a personal way, is to build a wardrobe. I can say that everything that I do own, I have a purpose or a reason for. So a lot of it's sentimental. And I also, the things I do keep, I keep for a very long time. So I think it's okay to be proud of that or to own that about yourself and also for that to come across in 502. Mm. I think it's evident in reading it and I think assuming you continue that that is something that will continue to come across. I was always going to write probably like 80% of it and then it turned into 100%. So the voice like and I gave it to her my mom she was like I can, re I can read it and I'm hearing your voice. What I want to do with the second issue is get more people to write for it that aren't me. To find other people that uh, have a similar sort of outlook on things is both easy and hard. Can you find them and then find something for them to write about that kind of fits in? I think that's tricky. When you started, 
Did you have a very solid expectation for what you wanted to get out of it? And do you think you've gotten that? Oh man. I think overall the only expectation I put on myself was to get it out. I wasn't going into it thinking like, I'm gonna sell enough to get my money back. But I was thinking if I can sell a few to people who aren't just my friends and family, that'd be amazing. So I've done that. Oh, I don't know, expectations. Not really, I didn't put a lot of expectations like that on it from the out. It was just sort of something that I ended up doing. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna try and do this. And then I did it. It was like, that makes it sound very simple. It wasn't, but it was very much like, I think the hard bit in terms of expectation was actually finishing it. It took me way longer than I thought it was gonna. Wasn't there like, I'm gonna sell 10,000 or I wanna get it in this shop. I was just there like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And then hopefully people will be into it. I guess that, yeah, I guess the only expectation I had in that kind of way was that people that I didn't know would respect it and enjoy it. I think it's sufficient to celebrate completion of mm. something. I think we don't give enough credit to the effort that it takes to finish something and bring it to life. Yeah, 100%. But all of the unfinished things we don't see, like all of yeah. the unfinished projects people have, we don't see. And that's why it seems on the surface like, oh, there's like loads of magazines out there. But in reality, who knows how many unfinished projects are oh, man. in people's computers and heads. Well, it's got like a couple of people are showing it to like, wow, like I could not have been bothered to do that. And I'm just there like, yeah. And then equally what you're saying about celebrating completion is kind of like, it's so easy to compare yourself to like personally or not, or like how is it doing versus everything else. There's kind of no point. You might have something that's amazing to 500 people or something that's amazing to 10,000 people, but it doesn't make it any less amazing. You're kind of just stroking your ego if you're being like, oh, almost 10,000 people. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, the comparison is not worth it. Yeah. I agree. You kind of mentioned it already about wanting to do issue two with other contributors or more contributors. Do you have other plans of what's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of gave myself a couple months to start just selling it through, trying to get it out there as much as possible and that kind of thing. And then I've got a loose idea of what I wanted to be. I have a friend who, a guy called Alex Powers, who did Crep City magazine. I was talking to him about it. He's like, yeah, you, you kind of do a few things and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you realize that everything in the magazine kind of has to be like that. And that's actually so true. I'm trying to make it at a level where every time you come to it, it's you're like, whoa, what next? And I feel like for a lot of this issue, that's exactly it. I guess I just want to kind of make it bigger and better and to meet more people through it, to kind of make or be able to create some kind of community around it would be brilliant. And then in terms of actual like nuts and bolts of the next issue, I've got a list of people I want to talk to and I think the theme would continue. I don't think it's a kind of issue one theme necessarily but I spent a lot of time trying to work out how you make something the same but different. Lots of good plans. Yeah. If you articulate it, it'll happen. Do you know what I mean? Well, now yeah. that you said it, now that this will be published, yeah. oh, you gotta man. do it. No tape backs. That's what I do. Just say it out loud and yeah. then you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I um, 
spend a lot of time not mentioning it to anyone, the magazine that I was doing it, because it's like my biggest fear in doing it was definitely to have someone go, so how's that magazine coming? And me go, I, I failed, I failed hard. Like, So there's loads of moments of me like punching the air, like kind of jumping up from my desk going, yes! And equally like kind of having a meltdown and being like just having to lie on the sofa and just like zone out, think about something else. Yeah, I mean, it's a long slog. I'm not gonna... I'm not going to make it sound more pleasant than it is. Mm. But when you committed to not just a standalone thing, but a thing that is issue one of a series, it's not just that you had to get to the end of producing this issue, but now you, you've made a personal commitment to a thing that doesn't end mm. or might not end, does not have a definitive yeah, true. Open ended. Ending. I'm sorry. It's like a very depressing thing to tell you. No, no. I think um, I think it's exciting. I mean, if I'd kind of done it and everyone had gone, huh? Yeah, maybe I'll buy one. Then I probably would have like legitimately had a meltdown. But um, I think yeah, like the reaction to it has been good. No one's picked it up and gone, "This is terrible," or like, "I don't like this." Everyone's kind of been into it, so. It kind of makes you feel confident that you could do it again. I never had any doubt that I could do it, or and I never doubted that I should. I took a little bit of time to make sure I actually wanted to. And I was there like, no, this is just... This, I'm just going to do it. Like, I don't really have anything to lose. If you'd like to hear more stories like this one, and more from the world of creative, culture, and beyond, check them out at Megan.com. That's M-A-E-K-A-N dot com. Or search for us on your favorite podcast app.